0: I had a fry every day the summer, Talking on building sites, you know. Now again, we didn't win, so
1: maybe it wasn't the right thing (laughs) to. I should have been there for food and pasta. (laughs) OTB
0: AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app.
1: Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball.
0: With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. So I'm sure you saw over the weekend, the Rugby Championship is very much up and running on Saturday. Australia beat Argentina. That was 41-26 in Argentina. But the continued struggles of New Zealand a year out from the World Cup are very much catching the eye. They were beaten 26 points to 10 by South Africa. There are any number of uh, records of the negative variety I can mention. For instance, they have dropped New Zealand to fifth in the world, which is their lowest ever ranking three defeats in a row for the first time since 1998 a biggest uh, defeat to the Springboks since 1928 and on it goes they have Ellis Park uh, next up so not about to get any easier Gregor Paul of the New Zealand Herald is in South Africa and he's with us now evening Gregor
1: uh, morning how are you
0: yeah very well so so uh, just to add to Ian Foster's woes, if he has a subscription to the New Zealand Herald, your uh, newspaper, at the front page didn't make for a great we- reading. There was an editorial on the front page, as you would know, and I'll give the listeners a sense of it. It said it's time for an end to Ian Foster's time as head coach of the All Blacks. The Herald takes no pleasure in calling for him to go. But Foster, a decent man who's out of his depth in a brutal business, must exit the role, whether he's paid out to leave, as he should be, or he voluntarily steps aside. The results are damning. Five des- defeats from the past six matches is simply not good enough, but it's a, the manner of the defeats that really counts. And Later on, the editorial says, even victory in the second test at Ellis Park this weekend would only paper over the cracks. All black strategies have been steadily unpicked by opposition coaches since the 2017 Lions Tour and un- on-field strengths unravelled. In the modern all-black era, there have been no days darker than these. Bloody hell.
1: <laughs> yeah, bloody hell.
0: So, Ian Foster, a man under huge pressure. What was the reaction to that editorial, do you know?
1: uh look, don't actually know being on the other side of the world at the moment but uh, in truth, it, it's probably the editorial is probably an amalgamation of the comment pieces that we've been running maybe for two to three weeks now. So it's not breaking new ground, essentially, with what it's saying there. Um, I think that's a general sentiment that we've reached the end of the road here. Um, And a few of us have been saying that we probably got there maybe a week ago or two weeks ago. And um, we've just reached the point where there is no discernible evidence that the All Blacks are on a track to anywhere other than number eight or number nine in the world at the moment.
0: The uh, South African game was on the television over here. I suspect lots of listeners saw it. What was your sense of the game for people who didn't? I mean, New Zealand had three points on the board after 77 minutes, so certainly attack wasn't good.
1: Oh, the Attack was dreadful. And um, you've got an all-black team there, which it's clearly not loaded with the the kind of personnel we've known from the past. Mm. But there's still guys in there. Will Jordan, Caleb Clark, Bowden Barrett, Rico Ioanni. Who you know were playing really well in um, in Super Rugby and are still world class players, and um, they're barely touching the ball. They can barely mount a meaningful attack. Like they, I mean, the, the crazy thing about the game was that um, New Zealand went behind, uh, as they did in all three games against Ireland. They, they conceded a try after five minutes, and really after they conceded a try that early they were never going to win the game. They they didn't get into South Africa's 22 until the 52nd minute when they kicked a penalty in there and then they lost a line-out, so they didn't even mount an attack. And you're right, they didn't look like they would score a try the whole game up until they actually did with about two minutes to go yeah. when they were you know a long way behind. You know, they don't look like the All Blacks. They're not playing like the All Blacks. But they're, barely, they're barely clinging on. Um, to, to every game. like Same when they played Ireland, doesn't it? They never really looked like they would win Test 2 or 3 no. and they definitely didn't look like they were going to beat South Africa. It was just a case of clinging on quite early to see how much damage limitation they could they could do.
0: It seemed like, uh, well, akin to the Irish performances and even the November internationals as well last year, there were struggles at the breakdown. A scrum was nothing to get too excited about and particularly at the weekend just gone, they were dominated in the air. So, most things that could go wrong did seem to go wrong. Were they still making the same unforced errors and hand, the handling errors that we saw against Ireland?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll have the list goes on and on and on right. here. Yeah, all, all of the above. The one, I uh, look two. I wouldn't call them bright spots, but the lineout was was improved. They they actually played pretty well there. Um, maybe even had the edge on South Africa at the lineout. And they defended the rolling mall particularly well. Yeah. They've got a new forwards coach, you see, and he he actually helped them there. But I mean, you're you're scratching around looking for two micro improvements there. Um, the, the rest of the game, they're they're behind in in every facet that they're that they're involved in at the moment. The, the truth is, I think they're broken. Um, if they've lost their confidence entirely. Players are uncertain about what they're supposed to be doing. They don't look like they believe they can win. And we're at ground zero here. Well, we're not quite at ground zero. They've got to go to Ellis Park this Saturday, which like, they'll be doing pretty well to come out of there yeah. um, with any kind of uh, reputation left intact. That would be their, their, their goal, I would imagine, to get out of Ellis Park with the damage not being too bad. Once they get out of that, we're, we're clearly in the territory where major reset. And that I mean, what that looks like, boy, you... A clean out of the coaching team. One or two players are probably going to have to be moved on, but a pretty big clean out coming.
0: I saw that the New Zealand rugby CEO, Mark Robinson, is staying on in South Africa until next week. Are, are you, you, you seem to be talking about this as a fate complete. Is, is, is Foster dead man walking? This is happening.
1: I, I would, well, I don't know that, but look, the, uh, I wrote a story the other day that they met Foster, uh, Mark Robinson, CEO, met him after the Irish series. Uh, to say, look, what are we going to do here? Uh, Foster presented a plan to chop John Plumtree and Brad Moore, who was the attack coach, and bring in Jason Ryan as um, from the Crusaders as a forwards coach that got signed off. And uh, the conversation then, from what I've been told, ended up being Robinson telling Foster, look, if we don't see um, victories and or definitive improvement in South Africa, then our expectation is that you will resign um, at the end of that series. Um, like, I don't know if a coach will actively resign because um, there'll be financial implications to that. And there's also a truth that, you know, coaches, they're like gamblers, aren't they? They kind of think that if they just keep going, uh, and I think Ian Foster's has actually said this a few times now, he's of the view that if they just keep going, everything is going to click suddenly and magically this thing will fix itself and we're going to see a whole new all-black team if they just uh you know flick, flick this magic switch mm. but no one really believes that anymore and um you know the the ceo is going to have to show a bit of leadership here and um make a very harsh and tough call for a very nice man who who's been a loyal servant of the game here but the All Blacks cannot afford to be um, losing test matches at the rate that they are.
0: Gregor, have we had any um, insights into what's going wrong at a coaching level? Quite often in instances like this, players anonymously or otherwise will let it be known through the media or through agents that the coaching is not up to scratch. Are we hearing uh, grumbles like that or leaks like that about this coaching ticket?
1: Well, we heard grumbles about about the two that have been... Um, moved on um Plumtree and um, brad moore we also have had uh, uh rumblings that greg fake the scrum coach fell into that category as well where the players weren't overly impressed with his contribution yet he remains on the ticket and i i suspect that joe schmidt may have kind of put put a word in there and said no no look he he's my man and he he went well with me in Ireland and I think we should keep him mm. um, but yeah there were gr- there were grumblings and rumblings about, about those three I think the relationship between the players and Foster is good but I don't know uh, whether they just like him but are uncertain about his professional capabilities and right. capacities and they're just trying to hang in there for him because he's a good guy
0: and so if the inevitable happens here is it Scott Robertson automatically or would there be a proponent of rugby uh, people in New Zealand who would look to Joe Schmidt or do we have any sense of where New Zealand rugby are?
1: Well look, you, you, you get down to there's a, there's a bit of a practicality here uh, after the All after the Blacks play at Ellis Park they, they have a week off and then they assemble uh, on the Sunday after they get home to play the Puma's um, on the 27th, I think it is, of August. So you're down to, by the time they get back from South Africa, it'll be about four days away from reassembling. Mm. So that's your time frame here. So if you cut Ian Foster um, after this test match, then you've got four days effectively to appoint a new coach. So if you're going down that road, you're really looking at two names. Um, Joe, who, and we've talked about this before, doesn't appear to have the appetite. He's not here. I mean, he's, he the ticket that he's on at the moment, he's not travelling with the team. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be um, uh, away from home. He's happy to do his job sort of remotely, if you like. So he's given every indication he just doesn't want to be back at the helm of an international team. So on that basis, I'd say he's probably a non-starter, and that takes us back to one guy, and that's... Um, Scott Robertson, who's under contract to New Zealand Rugby, he's he's the head coach at the Crusaders. So, in theory, if they agree terms with him and he's able to bring in the people that he wants to be his back office team, then yeah, he could technically, you know, he could be he could be signed up in 24 hours. I'd imagine if they really tried. Yeah. So look, he's probably the only guy that they can go with at the moment.
0: You're unbelievably brutal a year out from the World Cup. I'm, as for. Uh... New Zealand rugby, I I, I kind of see dispatches on YouTube of your uh, Sky channel over there and and some of the talking heads have made the point that Foster's had several reviews now of late, but who's actually reviewing the decisions being made by New Zealand rugby, like the appointment of Foster in the first place and, you know, what's going on at an institutional level? How do we know if that's best in class anymore? Uh, Presumably, everybody's uh, taking some stick at the moment, very much New Zealand rugby included or no?
1: Oh, 100 percent. Look, there's, there's been a leadership failure here there's there was a process failure back in 2019 when hansen gave them a year notice that he wasn't going to be um, looking to be reappointed after the 2019 world cup um they sat on their hands uh, they waited and waited and waited to to go through their you know next coach appointment process until after the world cup at which time Dave Rennie went to the Wallabies. Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown went to Japan. Vern Cotter went to Fiji. Um, There's probably more, but I can't think of them off the top of my head. So they they ran the clock down on the whole process and and got left with two guys, effectively, Foster and Scott Robertson. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, with hindsight, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I mean, you'd be a little bit careful here, but they they went with the the kind of in-house guy, Foster, who'd been with the team, you know, as an assistant for eight years because continuity had been what had worked for them when they reappointed Graham Henry and then they elevated Steve Hansen, who had been Graham's assistant for a long time. Mm. So they liked that idea of succession planning. They liked that idea of continuity. But arguably, like Steve Hansen had a pedigree as an assistant coach, he'd already been a head coach at international level. He he was a guy who you could see was going to be capable of becoming a head coach. Foster was maybe a little bit harder. He hadn't ever been a head coach in the international arena. His CV was sketchy. I don't mean that cruelly, but he'd been at the he'd been head coach of the Chiefs Super Rugby team for a long time and. think they made one final in eight years and I mean to make it worse the year he left the job they won the title um so look he was always a little bit on the back foot as an appointment and there was a lot of feeling that they made the wrong choice and there's been animosity in the public probably from day one about that and probably proven to be right in the end and you know, I won't bore you to death about what else the um, executive team have got wrong at the moment, but sure. but the list is long. Yeah. And certainly the way they're handling um, the current scenario with these endless reviews, there's been communication vacuums. They haven't backed Foster publicly. They keep backing away from doing that. Poor guy's left on his own trying to deal with the media. Mm. He's not getting obvious support from his CEO, and I think the tension is that is that breaking
0: point yeah well we'll watch this space uh, before you go gregor just one uh, point i wanted to put to you because there was a piece in the sunday times at the weekend which uh, caught my eye as i'm sure you're all uh, painfully aware over there as well the uh, specter of early onset dementia and cte uh, hangs over the sport at the moment and there is a class action very much underway and carl Heyman i suppose former old black is as high profile Uh, suffer Mm. of early onset dementia as there is in the game at the moment. Uh, We saw even Faf de Klerk knocked out in sickening fashion in this game. And uh, the piece I was reading at the weekend in the Sunday Times uh, was saying that a number of former all-black captains have come together as part of a group who are very concerned about the direction the game is going in from a safety point of view. The likes of Ian Kirkpatrick, Alex Wiley, Andy Leslie, Dave Loveridge, players like that. Mm. And there was a quote from uh, Doug Catley, former coach, and he's part of this group as well. And this quote just jumped out to me. I guess you might have a sense of the scene over in New Zealand. He said, it's not an exaggeration to say that the game is dying in New Zealand. We see it in the diminishing numbers playing the game. The fields that once had rugby posts are now soccer pitches. Our game has to change and fast. Have you seen a decline in the numbers playing underage for uh, safety concerns?
1: Uh, yep, yep, there's been a decline. I I would separate a few things out. There is a decline related directly to safety, but it's not exclusively or even probably um, the majority. is not based around concussion. You've got to remember here that there's a there's a fear factor for kids playing the game. Um, I'm trying to. It, it's a it's a tricky topic to talk about here because we have a diverse population in New Zealand. We have a heavy uh, Polynesian influence in Auckland and Wellington in particular, uh, where kids are 14 um, year old boys with an island heritage can be 110, 115, 120 kilos at 14. Um, And as much as you want to try and play weight grade, it's pretty difficult around doing that. So there's a fear of injury, but it's not necessarily about being concussed. It's probably just about being squashed by someone, you know, 30 or 40 kilos heavier. Hmm. So I think there's a separation there. There is a a safety concern, but it's more also about the the guys that you're talking about, the former captains. Like, I think they're just all a little bit bored and frustrated with a kind of collision-based game. It used to be a contact sport, And now it's a collision sport. And yet there are safety elements built into that. But there's also an entertainment factor that it feels like it's just big, big physical men hammering into each other in the days of finding space on the field and having smaller athletes. They're a bit worried about that's what's putting people off. It used to be a game for all body shapes, but maybe it's not now.
0: Okay. Uh, Well, Gregor Paul of the New Zealand Herald in South Africa, thanks so much for making time for us. Appreciate it, Gregor. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Gregor Paul with us there uh, live on the line this evening And our rugby coverage and off the ball is with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.
1: Monday Night Rugby
0: on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.